We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Tommy's here. I am here. Uh, I mentioned this on yesterday's podcast. I did a podcast yesterday, Tommy, and I had a very good guest on the show, by the way. Brian Simmons is a North Carolina Tar Heels football radio analyst. He was an NFL player. He was also an NFL scout before getting into broadcasting, and he called every one of Sam Howell's games uh, when he was at Carolina. He was excellent. Um, Somebody had recommended the him to me uh a listener um had reached out to me and recommended brian simmons and that was a great recommendation so if you missed brian on the show yesterday he was excellent and then i tommy i had scott McLuhan on the show um on friday and he loved washington's draft he thought it was one of the best drafts of any team in the nfl uh, there wasn't one pick he didn't like, and almost every pick he had the player either where they picked him or much higher in his evaluation, including the running back, Chris Rodriguez, who they picked in the sixth round. He had a second-round grade on him and said that he, that he could end up being the steal of the entire draft. So there you go from Scott McLuhan. That's great news. Great news. I had I, I read yes. this. I read an email from somebody yesterday on the show um, it was, uh, here it is. Chuck C, um, sent me a note and said, Scott McLuhan's always a good guest, but why do you think he's credible? I mean, he picked Josh Doxson and Sua Cravens in 2016. Um, and, uh, I just said, you know, all of these guys, the greatest general managers in the history of the game, which I'm not putting Scott McLuhan into that d- d- discussion, but they all get more wrong than they get right. But that was not a good draft 2016 because neither yeah. one of those two players really wanted to play football. No. Isn't that the Brandon Sheriff draft, though? Uh, that was 2015. Brandon, uh, Brandon oh, okay. Sheriff, Preston Smith were the first two picks he made. And okay. Well, those were pretty good picks. They were excellent picks. They were ex- yes. excellent picks. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it's a crapshoot uh, projecting talent. Uh, in, in any sport. And, uh, you know, the, the, the gold standard for a great general manager getting something wrong is Bobby Bethard drafting Ryan Leaf. Yeah, of course. 
You know, I mean, he didn't want to draft Ryan Leaf. He wanted Peyton Manning, but Peyton Manning was gone. Um, Yes. Do you know, uh, in responding to Chuck's email on the show yesterday, I recollected um, when they hired Scott McLuhan, if you recall, it was literally within two weeks of Bruce's famous winning off the field comment. Yes, it was. And he was getting absolutely trashed for that. And I, you know, we all believed at the time that he was looking for some deflection. I don't think he really wanted to hire a general manager. Um, and you and I did, I think, the first one-on-one, or, you know, in this case, it was the two of us and Bruce Allen interview after the press conference to announce Scott McLuhan. By the way, you know who broke the news on Scott McLuhan? Yeah. Me. I broke the news that it was Scott McLuhan. Did you really? I did. I had uh, I, I had somebody that told me who Washington was going to hire as a uh, a general manager type and I got I got his number. I won't tell you how I got his number. I called him and he Don't you remember that the he he told me that he had spent um, like eight hours at Dan Snyder's house, and so when I when I broke the story on our show, I mentioned that, and they got so upset at um, at me saying that he had spent you know all the it was like eight or twelve maybe it was maybe it had been like sixteen hours I can't remember it exactly it was some obscene amount of time that he spent at Dan Snyder's house, and I reported that. And the team was upset about it and called Chuck and said the reporting was wrong. Kevin's dead wrong about that. Chuck Sapienza was our program director. And he came in and and I said, I don't know what to tell you. This is what the man told me. He told me that uh, in interviewing for the job, he spent, again, I'm forgetting the actual hours, but it was some super long period of time that he spent 12 hours with Dan Snyder at Dan Snyder's house interviewing with Dan Snyder. But this is this is the standard operating procedure, it seems like, for anyone who gets interviewed at Snyder's house. They always spend an ungodly amount of time there. They did. <laughs> and so it wasn't a surprise I mean, to me that he had, that he told me that, but I was just describing what he had said. Anyway, the, Chuck, you know, to his credit, went back to him and said, Kevin's adamant that that's exactly what Scott McLuhan told him in their conversation. And when they introduced Scott McLuhan, uh, Dan Snyder himself as part of the introduction. I'm pretty sure it was Dan. I, I'm, I'm kind of getting maybe some of the details, you know, a little bit off because it is eight years ago. But I think Dan's the one that said in the introduction, and maybe it was Bruce who said it in the introduction, that he spent, that he spent an entire day or he spent 10 hours or whatever it was with Scott McLuhan, and he just really enjoyed it. And and with that, I was just like, thank you, hello. Why would I make up that, you know, he told me that he had spent that much time with him? Um, anyway, what I was going to say is we were the first show, um, you know, after the press conference to interview Bruce. And I, my recollection of it was is it looked like we were interviewing somebody who did not really think that the person he hired 
was going to have any sort of say over him. Because we both asked him, like, will he have final say on personnel? Will he have say on the coaches at the end of this year? And Bruce was reluctant to give him any sort of real power other than to say that the draft was going to be his area of responsibility. Look, he didn't want to hire a general manager, so he hired a broken general manager. With all due respect, I don't mean to to show any lack of respect to Scott McLuhan, but right. he wasn't he couldn't get hired anyplace else because of his personal problems. Right, at the time, that's true. So Bruce hired a guy that in some ways he knew would fail. To come into a place where uh, the demons that he was fighting, uh, it was not going to be easy to do so at, at, at Redskins Park uh, in the atmosphere, of the, in the frat house atmosphere that they ran out there. So he, he hired a guy that almost like he knew would self-destruct. Because Bruce, Bruce is that devious and that cunning. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was it, it, no doubt. You're 100 percent right. Um, and look, you know, it didn't work out, and some of that was on Scott. Okay, I mean, ultimately, he was accountable and responsible for himself. I mean, let's not forget because I let me just tell you, I have enjoyed my conversations with Scott in recent years, and and he's easy to root for because he's a really good guy. And anybody that ever had a chance to to sit and have conversations with him will tell you what a really good guy he is, and everybody wants him to succeed. And by the way, what a really good talent evaluator he was. But don't forget that the case that he brought against the team for whatever was owed to him in remaining compensation because they fired him with cause and they didn't pay him. He did not win that case. That's right. Um, and so, uh, anyway, uh, th- th- this, this came from Evan. Evan uh, wrote, he talked about Chris Rodriguez and gave the dreaded Marshawn Lynch comparison. <laughs> Didn't he do that with Matt Jones? I think he did. I think he did. You know, I think Marshawn think Lynch is one of his well. I think Marshawn Lynch is one of his favorite backs and he talked about by the way Frank Gore who he has looked at some of these players with him and is still close to Frank Gore. Frank Gore fell in love with Rodriguez as well. Now, why did he fall to the sixth round? It sounds like there may have been some stuff there with Rodriguez that I, I couldn't find anywhere, but there could have been a reason that he fell. But we'll, we'll see. Um, he, Listen, he really I, I liked, liked Matt Jones when they. I liked Matt Jones when they picked him, and I thought he was going to be a, a good player. Yeah. Uh, he loves Quan Martin, really likes Rodriguez, loves Forbes, said that if Forbes was a little bit heavier, he would have been a top ten pick. Um, so he really liked the draft and he talked a lot about Sam Howell too, and his thoughts on the quarterback situation here. So if you haven't listened to it, uh, that must have been all good as well. Um, yeah, yeah. For the most part, it was positive. You know, I mean, the the one thing that I'll, I'll mention is that I have said in recent months that I don't think he fell from projected first round, second round to the fifth round because he took a step back, you know, from a statistical standpoint in his final year at North Carolina. That's just not how quarterbacks get evaluated 
by scouts and, and general managers. I mean, stats are one thing, but it's your they're looking at your whether or not you look like a player that can translate to the next level as as a, as an NFL quarterback. And for whatever reason, he dropped. He dropped big time. I mean, Josh Allen's the example of a guy that really had a a a step back, you know, final year at Wyoming statistically, and he didn't drop. He moved up. So, um, and and I asked him about that, and he he agreed. He said, "No, that's not the reason." You know, his statistical drop, which wasn't that big, by the way, you could almost make the case that the rushing yards, which increased to 800 and something, and actually, if you take away the quarterback sacks, he actually rushed for over 1,000 yards because in college football, they count a quarterback sack as a rushing um, number. Um, You could almost make the case that he proved that, you know, he can do whatever it takes to, 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 to give his team a chance to win. So it was something else. And he, he didn't know what it was. He did not know what it was. But he agreed that you don't fall three to four rounds because the stats weren't as good in his final year as they were the year before. And, um, but he, li- you know, he liked him. He, 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 he liked a lot about him, uh, and he had a higher grade on, on Sam Howell than a fifth-rounder. So there you go. Uh, rate us and review us if you have a chance on Apple and Spotify in particular. Follow us. That's big for us. Um, we're consistently uh, on Apple's charts, podcast charts, consistently you know, a top 15, top 20 podcast in America in the football category and we're highly ranked in the overall sports category as well Um, and really for our show uh, being sort of local in content there's really no other show like it in terms of the charts and and a lot of that is because a lot of you guys uh, write nice things and rate us well Um, and that helps us on the other side of this podcast which is generating enough revenue to pay Tommy to come on two days a week. So if you could rate us and review us and continue to do that and follow us, it's very helpful. Uh, By the way, this was from Dakota. Uh, Kevin, this show is amazing. Love it. Five stars. And then Dakota says, you remind me so much of my father who introduced me to the team. Rest in peace. Don't stop being you, closed quote. Well, rest in peace to your father, Dakota. I don't, I, I can't, you know this about me because this was not my, I, I wasn't in broadcasting my whole life, but it's weird to me. And I bet people have been saying it to you for a long time since you've been a writer for a long time. When they say, oh man, I've been listening to you or I've been reading you in your case or and listening to you since I was a kid. This makes me feel so old. I get it a lot. I get it a lot that they that I, I get it both in in my writing and when we were on the radio together. I get kids who used to listen while their dad was driving in the car right. who are now young adults. Yeah, and listen to the podcast. I get that. Yeah. Um, it's just yeah, it's it's. It's incredible how time kind of flies. Uh, here we are in 2023, May 30th, 2023. Uh, by the way, thank you, Dakota, for um, the five stars and the review. Uh, and again, follow us on Apple and Spotify. Rate us and review us if you can. Um, I, 
the Caps hired a new coach. I guess we'll have a comment or two on that. We're not the experts. We're not the go-tos for the Spencer Carberry hire. And we did not book a guest uh, for the show today to talk about the Spencer Carberry hire. Although I had Ben Raby, who is excellent on the radio show, talking about Spencer Carberry. So you can find that at theteam980.com. But we have to start the show with the Miami Heat going into Boston last night and winning Game 7. So I'm just going to start by asking, did you watch the game? Of course I watched it. What do you mean, I of, course, you mean, of course you watched it? That's not enough. Well, because course. I knew I, we'd have to talk about it. It's a Game 7. Uh-huh. You know, we're doing the podcast the next day. Okay. Yeah. So, so they... I, I knew I'd have to watch it. Uh, I, I was slipping back and forth between that and the Nats game. Uh, but, uh, you know, I might have missed a couple of three-point shots, you know. Uh, I think I caught most of them, but I might have missed a few. <laughs> After all, there were only 70 of them. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's good. That is good. Uh, the Celtics were 9 for 42 in the game. Uh, I didn't even look to see what the uh, the Heat uh, number was. How many did they shoot? Let me just see. Well, they had 28. They had, so 70 on the nose. 70 on the yeah. nose. That's actually not, you know, certainly not a record. I mean, we've had some teams shoot in the 60s on their own. Um, but it, it, it certainly illustrates the glory of the game in the year 2023. Well, if that's what you like took. Like Shaq said – Last night in, in the uh, post game show, if we if I was on a team that was zero for ten in three point shooting in the beginning of the game, I'd say to my teammates, the next guy that shoots a three pointer gets punched in the face. <laughs> I heard him say that. I heard him say that they were great last night, all of them. Uh, Barkley on the Celtics was great at halftime. He said, I just can't believe this dumbass team. That was his comment. They are one dumb basketball team. They've got, they've got no, no discipline. Uh, you know, it's remarkable that they won game six, uh, you know, on, on that put up, uh, with what, two seconds left in the game. I mean, because, uh, I mean, they, they were they were lucky to win Game Six. They almost blew the lead. Miami came back, and I thought that Miami was going to win Game Seven. I didn't think, but Boston, they're they're just they're just a mess fundamentally. They've got no discipline. It's a team that if their talent is 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 on, they win. If their talent is having it off night, they have no Plan B, which is so much the problem in a lot of at the NBA these days. Everyone has a plan A. No one has, like Mike Tyson would say, a plan after they get punched in the mouth. You really thought Miami was going to win the game last night? Yes, I did. Mm. I mean, I think the Celtics, I mean, the fact that I, I put on, somebody put, posted on Twitter when I, I talked about how unwatchable the game was. Uh, oh, you that, thought the game you know, was unwatchable? You thought it was unwatchable? Oh, Unwatchable. Absolutely. Oh, my God. And I'm not the only one, buddy. Oh, my God. It was unwatchable. Oh, and the fact awesome. that you, you have started this campaign to try to convince people that this is the greatest basketball we've ever seen in the history of the NBA is so overcompensating because you know deep down 
this sucks. And you don't want to be on the island all by yourself well, anymore. Well, I, 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 I know I'm not on the island by myself. I, I watch you know, no, all you of my kiddies. NBA analysts you uh, that, I, that I consider um, really good, like Legler, etc. Had Legler on, on the show last week. Legler he, gets paid to say that. No, he doesn't. He doesn't get paid to say that at yes, all. Yes, he does. No, he doesn't. That's that's a stupid thing for you to say. He doesn't get paid to say that well, the NBA does. is the greatest, is at the highest levels we've ever seen. He doesn't get paid to say that. Oh, Jesus, gets, Kevin, stop He gets paid it, to analyze please. the games. What do you mean he gets paid to say that? Now, now, now you're it's being, an ESPN now you, even you know that that's not true, as you just said to me. It's an ESPN product. Okay. He's not going to get on there and say it's unwatchable. Right. Which is what Barkley said about the Which Celtics last night. Um, and he works for another NBA network. So um, I do think that what I've watched during this postseason is some of the highest level basketball ever played. Oh, and and and, I don't, and you're not going to get me to back off it because I just don't. It's it's what I've, I I I watch a lot of basketball, as you know, and I've watched a lot of basketball over the years, and that's my opinion, and I'm sticking with it. I don't think there's been. Um, you know, any team in recent years that has played at a higher level than the Den- than Denver's played at during this postseason. But last night, for me, this is just my opinion, was not unwatchable at all. It was drama, and I loved every second of it. Let me just tell you that before the game started, the fact that you thought my now I bet Miami plus the seven and a half. I, I will tell you that I did bet them plus the seven and a half because I just was hopeful that what I had watched from Jimmy Butler and from Eric Spolstra, and at the same time, as you know, going back to the beginning of the postseason, I thought this Joe Missoula literally, I think I could have done a better job with the X's and O's than he did with the Celtics um, during this postseason. But their talent is superior to almost everybody in the East, maybe with the exception of Milwaukee, and they'd gotten on a roll. You know, they had won three in a row. They The game five in Boston was Boston at their best in rhythm where, it you know, they're a good defensive team. But that's the one thing you can really say about them. Consistently, they've been pretty good defensively. And then when they, when they nearly choked away the game Saturday night, because they were the better team for three and four-fifths of that game on Saturday night, Boston was. And then they did what they did. They just stand around. They jack up threes. And, and all of a sudden, Butler, who had the worst game that he's had in the entire postseason on Saturday night, he looked sick. He gets all of a sudden on a roll, and it Miami's on the verge of knocking him out. And I, I was so rooting for Miami. But when that tip-in happened, I'm like, fuck, it's over. I mean, they're not winning in Game 7. And, you know, the Boston was a heavy favorite, prohibitive favorite last night. Nobody that, you know, of the experts was picking Miami last night. And even though I put a little bit on Miami plus the 7.5, it was truly hopeful more than anything else. I didn't think that they really had... Uh, much of a chance to win the game. So kudos to you um, for 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 thinking that because um, you were definitely in the minority. What I loved about the game last night is I love when the smarter, tougher team and with the batter at you know the badass competitors win in that kind of environment. And to me, 
well, it was God, it was the opposite of unwatchable. To watch Miami go in there in a game seven with everything basically against them. They're on the road in what was, I mean, if you watch the beginning and the buildup to that game, that was as good an environment, insane environment in Boston. They, they are great fans up there. By the way, for all of their sports teams, phenomenal fans. That was an absolute, you know, hornet's nest that they were going into. And before that game, like five minutes before it tipped, I'm like, they got no shot. No shot. And then to see what happened, you see it every once in a while, especially with a big favorite in a one-and-done environment. It could be the NFL playoffs, you know, where you got the one seed against a wild-card team, and all of a sudden they're in trouble, and then they really start to feel the pressure. Last night to watch what happened to Boston when they got down by double digits in the second quarter, that was, for me, fascinating, dramatic. Um, They choked so badly. Now, we have to mention Jason Tatum got hurt on the very first possession of the game, and I don't know if the game would have been different had he been uh, healthy and and been up to it. I mean, in the last Game 7 they played against Philadelphia, he had 53 points. He's really talented and is a massively good offensive player, even with no plan B, which which you're totally right about um, because they didn't have a plan B. But um, to watch every dribble look like it, they were trying to dribble a medicine ball, to see every shot, which, you know, every time it went up and missed from behind the arc in particular, it was like the arena was choking, the team on the floor was gagging, they all knew it, and then you've got this other team who's totally able to take advantage of it because they've got badasses on their team. And they are well coached by Spolstra. So I, you know, watching them, the pressure of every shot, every dribble, every pass, watching Jalen Brown literally melt down. Melt down. You're trying too hard here. No, I'm not. You're trying way too hard. Why? I'm telling you how I felt watching this game. It was unbelievable. I was on the edge of my seat watching this the entire night until the fourth quarter when they pulled away because I was still half expecting Boston to make a run. I thought it was sports, one and done, in the, in in the David Goliath sort of you know uh, uh, setting, as good as I, I mean I love it. I love when that happens to me. It's all I've said this a million times in the past. I love when the road team in a playoff goes in and wins. I think it's m- more Joe Gibbs's teams. You know Joe Gibbs is second or third all time in road playoff wins. And in many ways the w- the games they won at Soldier Field or at the Vet or at Tampa in his second go round were more thrilling than even the home games because they weren't expected. You know they were the underdogs and there's something exciting about seeing a team go in there with brass balls and do what Miami did last night. Um, so that's why I, I, would, I would describe it as the opposite of unwatchable. Now, what was unwatchable was poor Joe Missoula, who not only doesn't have a clue 
when it comes to X's and O's. And look, I understand he's a new coach. I understand that he didn't, you know, they, they gave him a job that he wasn't supposed to have. I understand all that. But he's also incredibly, um, he's either, maybe he's super shy, I don't know. But he thinks he's Popovich doing these, you know, interviews with these one-word answers. Like he's got it all figured out. He actually was asked in the post-game show, do you think you should have shot less threes? And he said no. I, 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 uh, it, it's Shaq saying that, Barkley saying that, the whole, the whole time I'm watching them run zone offense, and Tommy, this is the God's honest truth. This dude has no idea how to beat just a basic zone. Now, Miami does a great job of disguising. They pressure, they drop back. They're in a 2-3, they disguise it as a 3-2, they disguise it as man. They they there's lots of things. They they're really good. But you know, a zone in 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 the NBA is not a zone in college because of the defensive 3 second rule. So you can't like pack it into the paint. There's still big areas of the middle of the floor wide open against a zone. I think maybe on three occasions I saw somebody flash to the middle. I mean, they had four to five guys on the perimeter, and they're trying to beat it with dribble penetration. Like, it's it, it, seriously, it, it was an embarrassment, their zone offense. And what they rely on is they rely on, well, we're going to beat it with dribble penetration, we're going to get through it somehow, which they didn't, or we'll settle and we'll make some shots, and then hopefully defensively we'll turn them over and we'll get out in transition. Because Boston's been a pretty good defensive team throughout the postseason. But that was an embarrassment by them um, in the way they ran their offense in particular. In the meantime, Spolster comes out of timeouts with you know pressure surprising him. He comes out with really good plays after a timeout. They've got under the basket, you know, set plays. Boston just runs, you know, operation get open. That was one dreadfully coached basketball team the entire postseason. You won't see that in the finals at all. You'll see, I think, the two best coach teams during the postseason anyway, and the two teams that have played, uh, you know, great basketball, team basketball. But um, I loved it last night. I really did. And I, I just I give Miami you, you so just, much credit. You just described a team that you based that basically self destructed more than got beat. In some, and where's the fun in that? In some ways it's true, but the self destruction, yes, I described what the coach did, but before that I described what the pressure did to him. Because you could see I mean, you saw that, right? You could see once they got behind double digits, it was like every missed shot, there was like you could remember we used to say this, it's not it's not a perfect apples to apples comparison. Remember when the Caps hadn't won the cup and how many of those game sevens at home they lost? And there would be like as the game moved on in game seven and it, they were down like one nothing or whatever, there was just this expectation and this tightening up of the team, of the crowd, and you just knew that something good wasn't going on. That's not the same thing because with the Caps, there's the history of it, you know, and I think that right. that was more of a cumulative thing. But yeah. last night, the expectation at tip was – this is going to be the first time in NBA history we've seen a team come back from three nothing, and, and I'll tell you, I bet I bet the Heat earlier um, in the day, and I was like, before that game tipped, I'm like, they don't, there's no way, 
There's no chance. It's what happened in game five is going to happen in this game. And I also thought that, that Jimmy Butler and Bam uh, Adebayo uh, in game six in particular really looked tired. I thought Butler looked tired last night. I thought he played, I thought he played much better than he played in game six. And he was really huge with some of those threes that he knocked down um, and, and, and was great defensively too. Uh, they, they were great defensively in their zone. My God, I don't know how you don't, I mean, for you basketball people, you know, two, three zone, you, you, short corner, high post, reverse the ball, short corner flashes, and the middle's wide open. They And they were bigger than Miami with Robert Williams yes. on the floor. Yes. It was just that's, so. That's amazing. Yeah. They were bigger than them. Yeah, bigger. Bigger and, and in some ways stronger than them. Um, and the only size for Miami, look, Bam, Bam's a, a, you know, he is a legitimate defensive and rebounding force. He's been horrendous on offense the last couple of games. Um, I like watching Miami play. Love it. Love watching Butler play. Uh, Caleb Martin was, I think you could have easily made the case that he was worthy of the most valuable player in, in that series, especially with the way he played well, over the final. they certainly don't win the series without him. No, they would not have. Um, but then again, you go back to earlier in the series when they took a three nothing lead. Uh, Butler was, you know, incredible in those games, um, and I thought he was really good last night. He, he really, I mean, he is the definition of letting the game come to him. Nothing is forced. He is super patient. I thought way too patient Saturday night um, as that game started to get away from him. I don't. I still don't know how they took the lead. They were never in that game, really. Um, down 10 with four minutes to go. It never felt at any point Saturday night like they were the better team than Boston. But last night, from start to finish, they just they took it to them. And then when Boston got behind, it was like suffocating for them and their fans. Um, I enjoyed it. It sounds like you didn't, but I enjoyed it. Uh, and I would imagine... Other than the fourth quarter when the game got out of control, I bet you that that the ratings were outstanding for the game. Although it wasn't close, and sometimes that hurts uh, the number. Um, anything else on your favorite uh, NBA playoff um, season? No. Ever? No. Are you going to watch the finals? No. Yeah, I'll watch the finals. I enjoy watching uh, Jokic, and uh, I enjoy watching Jimmy Butler. But I'm not operating on their illusion that these teams belong on the same court with the Spurs, with the with the 80 Celtics, with the 80 Lakers, with the Bulls. Not even on the same court. Well, we're, you know, we're, we're going to get into the conversation about... about uh, we're we're going to get into the conversation about sort of the evolution of the game and the athletes and the differences in... The, game, the players today. Uh, look to me, the '86 Celtics. Players. The '86 Celtics. We're not Celtics talking the, about players. Players do not necessarily make the style of the game. Mm-hmm. Okay. Athletes can get bigger and stronger, and the game can go backwards at the same time. Well, the skill level isn't going backwards. That's for sure. And every shooting percentage number will tell you that. Um, but the uh, game is. Well, that's your opinion. I. Because I've watched the three-point, as you have, and enjoyed it, 
Um, I just have a different perspective. And I think, like, I'll tell you what, what, what Chuck said last night, and he was so right, Barkley. He said, you know, that he wasn't railing against the volume of three-point shots. He was railing against the, the, the three-point shot selection. And that's because Boston can't doesn't run good enough offense to get open shots. To me, in this day and age... Watching this game, I mean, if if you want to take away the three-point line, then things change, obviously. But I would much rather have a good shooter shooting an open three than an open two. Um, I mean, that's it's not even even close. Boston in the last two games, they shot mostly contested threes when they should have had a plan B, which is we should shred this zone by going middle, wing, short corner, back to the middle, dunk. Boom. I mean, I, I don't know how they don't decide at some point last night, maybe we shouldn't keep shooting these contested threes against this zone that we can't penetrate against. It was, it was poor. It was poor by Boston. Um, and then on top of that, the shooting was terrible because you could see they they were choking badly. Um, I like Denver in the NBA Finals. We'll talk about this. Tom will be totally prepared with a total breakdown of the NBA Finals on Thursday's show. But I I can't see Miami. Miami just doesn't have the same level of players that Denver has. And the size is going to be a big problem for them. Big problem for you them. You know what else is going to be a big problem? What? All those TVs that are going to be turned off because it's Denver versus Miami. A, B, because the product's unwatchable. Yeah, yeah, you don't really believe that, but um, I do believe. Yes, I do. No, you don't. One hundred percent. No, it's not. What you don't can't possibly believe is you think it's the greatest basketball we've ever seen. That's overcompensating, Sonny. (laughs) Sonny, okay, champ, Governor. Um. I am not overcompensating um, because I didn't say that about last night's game. Uh, for me, yeah. last night's game was more about the game seven, one and done, and to see something that really was highly unlikely happen, and that was dramatic for me um, to watch, and I enjoyed it a lot. Now, there have been games and series in this postseason where I have said, and I'm not coming off of it because I'm right, and that is that it is some of the highest level of basketball uh, that I have ever watched uh, in the postseason. Um, and and I'd be the first to, to want to go back and tell you that the 80s Lakers and Celtics was the best basketball because that's still my favorite era by far. And I still think the greatest team is the 86 Celtics that I've ever watched. But this Denver team is underrated. And if they win this series in short order, maybe because it's against an eight seed, they won't get the credit they deserve. But they've had one hell of a run. As Legler said to me the other night, he's like, you cannot find in the history of the game a team that's averaging 50, 40, and 90. Or, or, you know, 50% from from the field, 40% plus from behind the arc, and 90% plus from the the free throw line. And they're doing this throughout the postseason. Um, And uh, they're really good. And I've I've enjoyed watching Denver, and I'm going to enjoy watching these finals. Should be great. I agree with your first point on your last 
um, statement, and that is I think the ratings for the NBA Finals are going to drop off significantly from what we've seen, which are the highest ratings in, in over a decade in the NBA playoffs. But I think the Finals is an absolute disaster for ABC. A disaster. They needed Boston to win that game last night. Having Boston in there against Jokic and Denver would have been okay. Um, but no, two small market, well, not small market teams, but two, you know, one smaller market team and two kind of, you know, not exciting franchises for the general public uh, is not going to be conducive to great ratings. But you know what? I'm sure the Stanley Cup will do great with Vegas and Florida in their Stanley Cup finals. Yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> that should be a great Stanley Cup final. Uh, all right. Um, there's a list that Bill Barnwell from ESPN put together uh, 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 ranking the NFL's 32 teams and their off-seasons. And Washington's grade was and ranking probably higher than most people would think. We'll get to that and a lot more uh, after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This segment of the show brought to you by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.com or MyBookie.ag. Use my promo code KevinDC to secure a first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. You have to use my promo code KevinDC to claim uh, your bonus. Uh, the odds, uh, everything's out for the NBA Finals. Game one, eight and a half. Denver laying eight and a half uh, at MyBookie. Um and they're a prohibitive uh, favorite as well at minus 410 uh, for the series. Uh, they're not giving Miami much of a shot um, in this one. By the way, I had a friend of mine, Joe House. Joe uh, is a friend of mine who lives here locally. He writes for The Ringer. He also does a podcast with Bill Simmons um, for The Ringer. And um, Joe bet before the Miami-Boston series started he put money on Miami to win the series in seven games, plus 1,100. 11 to 1 uh, was the number. So that was that worked out well. Up 3 nothing, uh, he was probably like, damn, I should have put it on a sweep because those odds would have been ridiculous. Uh, but he ended up winning the bet. Um, go to mybookie.ag, mybookie.com. Use my promo code, KevinDC, and they'll take excellent care of you. 
Um, we will, you know, the Caps, we know, made a new hire. We'll get to that at the end of the show. Uh, some Nats from over the weekend uh, as well. They lost their first game against the Dodgers. But Bill Barnwell, who uh, writes for ESPN.com, and we've used his columns for jumping off discussion points before, and he writes long columns. He started last week ranking the 32 teams in the NFL based on their off seasons from you know, worst to best. He actually ranked the bottom half last week, so from 32 to 17, and Washington wasn't in the bottom half of, of off seasons. I was actually kind of surprised at that because I still think like they didn't address their, their biggest need, which was quarterback. And I'm still not sure whether or not their second biggest need offensive line was addressed right. with quality versus kind of quantity. Um, but uh, they weren't in the back half of his rankings. And then this morning he put out the top half of his rankings, ranking the best to the worst off seasons for NFL teams in this 2023 off season. And at number one, was Washington. Now, I was thinking, what? Are you, you seriously? Like Andrew Wiley, um, Nick Gates, uh, Manuel Forbes? I read that headline and I, I felt the same way. I felt like, what are you kidding me? <laughs> so then I got to his reason for Washington having the number one offseason of any NFL team. And I completely agreed with him. And I'll just read it to you. Yes. Uh, yes. Washington had the number one offseason of any NFL team because he describes what went right was team owner Daniel Snyder entered into an agreement to sell the franchise. What, you thought this was going to be about signing offensive lineman Andrew Wiley? You can, <laughs> you can make a reasonable case that no team made a more significant move to aid their chances of becoming a Super Bowl contender this offseason than the commanders did by beginning to extricate themselves from their disastrous ownership group. Snyder has overseen things for 24 years, and then he's got this graphic. Here's how the commanders have fared under his own versus what things looked like over the prior 24 seasons. And we know all these numbers, with the exception of one, which I'll talk about here in a moment. He writes, the difference is staggering. Washington went from being one of the league's best teams to one of its worst. The pre-Snyder commanders had more actual MVPs than the Snyder-era commanders had of players who received a single MVP vote. During the 24 Snyder years, not one player that played for Washington got even an MVP vote. And they usually, you know, well, they end up having the point totals for like the top 10 or whatever. And then I thought about it. I'm like, well, they didn't have anybody that would have gotten an MVP vote. You know, offensive linemen like Trent Williams or Chris Samuels, they, they don't win MVPs. Um, you know, their defense interior, it's not like John Allen would get an MVP vote. You know, D tackles rarely. I mean, Aaron Donald, um, but, you know, rarely does it happen. And they haven't had a quarterback, a receiver, a running back, or a DB, you know, in that category. But anyway, um, he goes on to say, um, you know, the. Uh, 
They won more Super Bowls before Snyder than they did playoff games after he took over the team. One of the two playoff wins came in 1999, the year he took over the franchise. We know that. Um, He wanted to do away with the Brad Johnson trade, which would have eliminated one of his two playoff visits. The one playoff game the Commanders won after Snyder started to reinvent the franchise to his liking came in 2005 in a game in which quarterback Mark Brunel threw for 41 yards. Uh, that was quite the game. I love that game, though. Even in the most successful moment in the Snyder era, things weren't pretty. All of this is about what happened on the field. It doesn't even begin to consider how the organization's reputation was dragged through the mud by scandals. And then he goes on to talk about all the scandals, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the legacy of the Snyder era is just how great it is to be an NFL owner. Snyder took over one of the most popular franchises and enjoyed virtually no success during his time in charge, and he will make billions of dollars for agreeing to move on. Um, and then he writes, The new ownership group led by Josh Harris and a group of partners will have their ups and downs and make mistakes, as every ownership group does. It would be foolish to assume that they will immediately restore the commanders in football in Washington to its prior heights as one of the crown jewels of the NFL. It would be even more naive to pretend Harris or virtually any other competent executive would not represent a major upgrade on the outgoing owner. No move this offseason has been more significant. He's not wrong. Well, you know, I mean, he, he's 100% right. And, uh, you know, his point is well taken about the fact that, you know, a new owner does not guarantee success uh, on the football field. But what it, it probably does come close to guaranteeing is normal functioning organization that you don't have to wake up every morning and put a bag over your head before you go outside to root for. Right. Where if you're... I mean, you, you I mean, fans, hopefully, unless they're too damaged, fans can understand judgment misses, mistakes in personnel. These are normal mistakes, okay? When you make them for 22 years, they're not normal. Smart people make dumb decisions in football all the time. It's part of the business. And, and people are going to have to get used to a business functioning as a normal business with, with good years and bad years. Yeah. Yeah, I just I, I think it's funny because, um, you know, the one or two people out there that actually, for whatever reason, you know, not that they defended Dan Snyder, but they always took the position of, you know, he wants to win, which was just such a bullshit uh, thing um, that people hung on to. And or there's no guarantee that it'll be that it'll be better and that you'll win Super Bowls with new ownership. There's no guarantee you're going to win Super Bowls. That's a hard thing to accomplish. But there's absolutely a guarantee that it can't be worse. You know, could right. they, could they, could Josh Harris be a guy that ends up being a bad guy too? And probably not based on what we know of him um, and based on, you know, the way his other franchises have been run and, you know, not massive success, but, you know, not bottom dwellers either. It's just, it's impossible to believe that anything could ever be what this was that we, we witnessed firsthand and lived through the worst professional sports ownership situation of certainly this century, okay, and one of the worst of all time. 
And uh, and so unless you think you're going to get that two times, I mean, you can't. The, the, the odds of hitting on somebody worse, it's it's impossible to hit on anybody worse. But I think you know, back to Barnwell's column, you know, you you absolutely can make the case because the the organization in football where things are so the 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 line is so fine between winning and losing, your organization and the way it functions, and the culture, all of those things matter. Yeah, it also matters that you have a great quarterback and you have really good talent, but the league's designed for everybody in the league to be good every once in a while. And the teams that haven't been are the teams that are just so incompetently run from top down, like Washington. You know, Washington played in the league over the last 25 years that was designed for it to have, in 25 years, five seasons of like 10 wins or more, 11 wins, and a, and a couple, and, and several playoff wins, and maybe even a deep run, you know, at, at some point, you know, maybe one deep run. Maybe it's not a Super Bowl win, maybe it's just a Super Bowl, you know, trip, or maybe it's an NFC championship game. They won two playoff games. They haven't won a playoff game in 17 years. Haven't won a playoff game in 17 years. So they literally made what the design of the league is for. They rendered it, you know, um, impotent uh, for, for, for them. So he's right. Like, this is the most important thing next to having a quarterback, is having organizational competence. Because if you have that, you've you know that that line is even closer to the rest of the teams that are winning, and you're going to be able to hit that you know every few years of of having a competent team and a winning team. Um, they got they their chances of winning the Super Bowl in the future improved more than any one of the other 31 teams in the league by virtue of Snyder leaving. In terms yeah. of the percentage yeah. gain of improvement, improved chances. I think I said that right. I may have fucked that up. Uh, so good for Bill Barnwell to, 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 to write that. You know what? Have we, I know we haven't talked about it. I don't know if you have. Have you talked about the Dan Snyder Tunnel? Is this the Channel 9 guy story? Yes. I saw it. I didn't read it. Please tell me about it and everybody else. Okay. In meeting with Virginia officials about putting the stadium in Dumfries, you know, (laughs) he (laughs) proposed a 35-mile Tesla tunnel to run from Reagan National to the new football stadium. And he cited the tunnels that are – Vegas has a tunnel – called the Vegas Loop, that goes 2.2 miles under the city's convention center. And they want to supposedly expand that. Uh, But, you know, they're not close to doing it. Snyder's suggestion for putting the stadium in Dumfries, Snyder, who, who can't even, whose team can't even put together a team cruise, who can't, can't, can't put together a, build a basic tunnel. celebration of one of its most uh, beloved players, says, yeah, let's build a 35-mile tunnel. 
I mean, how do you not walk out of that meeting laughing your head off, saying this guy's a lunatic? When did when did he do this? I mean, God Almighty, just just stop with this bullshit about the goddamn financing, and they got to they got to change their financing. Oh God, already, Jesus! You know, I compared it to like I compared it on Twitter. I said the Commanders are the Exxon Valdez of the NFL. And here's a guy who wants to clean up the mess, and the league doesn't like the skimmers they're going to use to do it. Yeah, it, it really is. It, it, it's really st- – you know, I, I was talking to, to Ben about this on radio this morning because he, he – I forget what he said, but um, – oh, he was talking about Cameron Curl and contract extension and Ron saying, you know, basically we can't do anything right now until the new ownership situation is resolved. And I guess on one hand, it's like, uh, if it happens in May or if it happens in August, who gives a shit? At least it's going to happen. And I believe it's going to happen. But I actually think that uh, we talked about this last week. It's like, my God, you, you, you got what you wanted. He decided to voluntarily sell. And then he put out this outrageous price and somebody is going to pay it. And by the way, that somebody's already an owner of one of your NFL yes. teams, a small, yes. a small piece owner of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Like, you know, okay, there's some financing issues. You got to vet some people. Get it done already. Get Dan the hell out. And by the way, don't put this this organization at a at a at a further disadvantage by having to wait all of these months where they might not get a Cam Curl deal done, or they might miss out on a stadium opportunity. Like it's been their goal to revive this market, and it's like they're they're sitting there pulling their you know what's out to say, don't you tell us when we approve or don't yes. approve. We'll do it when exactly. we damn well believe we should do it. I mean, no, this is a different situation after the last 24 years. My God, your prayers were answered. All of our prayers were answered. Now get it done I mean, already. I don't think we ever take a step back, and I think we all should sometimes, to realize how fortunate this situation has become because there was no hope, really, on the horizon None. of Dan Snyder ever selling this team. And how appreciative everybody should be for Josh Harris and Mitchell Rails and Magic Johnson and Mark Ein and all of these limited partners who paid much more than what anybody else was willing to pay in a market that was basically a market of one to buy the team. I mean, I know to, for T to actually put a bid in, but he's the only other one that put a bid in. Like, okay, I mean, they they took on a little bit more debt. It's because of the size of the deal. It's the biggest deal that's ever been done. All right, they had to bring on some more limiteds. The league's not going out of business. The cash flow alone will be able to service the debt and some. Like, just get it done already. I, I mean... Uh, I know we talked about this last week, but you know, at some point it would just be funny if Josh Harris just said, look, I want to be a part of your club. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, but I, I, we, we're spending a lot of money, and now you're making us, you're putting us at a disadvantage. I'm going to give you guys literally a week to approve this, or I'm gone, and you can go find yeah. Brian Davis to try to sell the Davis, team to. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it just it doesn't... I know that somebody, because I said this this morning on radio and somebody tweeted me and said, it's the same time frame as it was with Denver. 
And Denver had basically a cash buyer. I mean, come on. I'm like, yeah, but, you know, Denver was also $1.35 billion less. And, um, you know, they, they, they had, and by the way, Josh Harris was one of the bidders on the Broncos. So they vetted him. They know what they have. I understand that because of all the limited partners, if they're 20 of them or 25 of them, or if they're family members, you know, they don't want this franchise to launch with new ownership and then find out that, you know, a smaller, and when I say smaller, you know, like a 25 to $30 million investor in one of the LP groups, you know, was involved in some sort of sexual harassment, you know, in their company's workplace or, you know, I, they don't want any of that. Obviously they want it to be smooth sailing, but how long does it take to vet all these people? I mean, come on. They've had this group. Now we're talking about months now that they've known that this was going to be the group. I want to talk about the new owners. I'm done talking about this moron. Right. I wish I was done. I can't. You know what? They, they, every time I think I'm out, they pull me back in. But this whole trade, I, I, I got a column <laughs> running for tomorrow about this whole ridiculous trademark mess now. And the arrogance of this organization to declare we're not going to pick these other names that, that the fans wanted because it'd be a trademark issue. Right. Yeah, that was the... I mean, they just they don't give you a chance. Every time I want to get out, they pull me back in. <laughs> yeah, they do. And that's why they've really got to completely clean house. Because yeah. as much as I have given Ron Rivera credit for changing the culture of the locker room, which I do believe, and I think Ron Rivera is a good man, the bottom line is that this organization has remained dysfunctional um, with all of the changes that they made back in 2020. It's still not a very a highly competent organization. Um, and I know that Jason Wright believes that they're being emulated by every company around the globe for their HR practices. And maybe there are things that we don't see that they really have done well with really good people. And I, and I, I hold that uh, out the possibility that, that some of that is true. But everything that we've been able to see, the majority of that, or close to at least half of that, has gotten fucked up. And so, you know, this organization, like you said, with this trademark thing, it's like, uh, seriously? Now, I understand how trademark works to a certain extent because in old businesses, we filed for trademarks. We filed for patents in different businesses. And I understand it's not easy. It takes a while. They just got approval on Washington football team. Um, But... Their reasoning back then for not taking, you know, some of the more, I guess, I they're not popular with me, but I guess they were more popular with those that were, you know, whether it was Red Tails or Red Hogs or what's the other yeah. one that I'm thinking or of? Red Wolves. Red Wolves. Um, that, you know, they said, yeah, they just, those were really going to be really difficult. That we, we, we went yeah. down the path where, you know, all of the, T's could be crossed and the I's could be dotted on, you know, the trademark stuff. And no, they, they got denied. They got denied. They don't get to fall back on the, you know, the trademark situations are a real difficult process. Yeah, we'd understand that for a normal business. But not when you blew your horn that you were picking this name because it was a path of least resistance to a trademark issue. And now you've got a trademark issue. I think it's the opportunity for the new owners to come in and say, you know, this name that this group picked, um, yeah. we're having some trademark issues. They didn't, you know, they didn't file it, you know, 
in a way in which they could. Uh, we're just we're gonna we're gonna reconsider some of some of the other names. I just yeah. and they got and by the way they got the mark on Washington football team. Um, somebody pointed out to me and and I appreciate you pointing this out that um, it doesn't stop them from using the name not having trademark protection. I understand that. I get that. But what it stops them from doing is leveraging that trademark protection from a you know product sales and using that that name in on products and without having anybody compete with them. You know, and having others infringe on that mark, which is why when they eventually won that case with the Patent and Trademark Office on the name Redskins, it was a big deal for the organization. That was only six, seven years ago, right, Tommy? I think it was. Yes. Um, Other than um, the trademark thing, which happened at the end of last week, I don't think there was any uh, sale news from over the weekend. I didn't see anything. I mean, you know. No, there was like a Memorial Day weekend uh, uh, quiet time, ceasefire, so to speak. Right. All right. Uh, we'll finish up with a few odds and ends, including um, the Caps hiring their new coach when we come back after these words from a few of our sponsors. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, Tommy, tell us about Shelly's. Well, you know, everybody, uh, you don't want to get caught short on Father's Day. I know Mother's Day you know, it has come and gone. Uh, Father's Day is coming up on June the 18th, and I'm going to make it real easy for you on Father's Day. Go to Shelly'sBackroom.com and buy a gift card for your husband, your father, your boyfriend, for use at Shelly's Backroom. Uh, they have gift cards in the amount of, of $5, $25, $50, Price and any denomination up to $250, okay, uh, that you can go to their website, Shelly'sBackroom.com, and you can buy this. Uh, I guarantee 
your your husband, your your significant other, uh, the man in your life will be pleasantly surprised at the idea of giving a, a given basically a gift card to head to Shelley's, a cigar friendly atmosphere, uh, to sit back and enjoy uh, hanging out with friends or watching sports on one of their eight high definition televisions. A great Father's Day gift, a Shelley's backroom dot com gift card. Great idea for Father's Day. Uh, definitely. Um, all right. The Caps hired their new coach. His name is Spencer Carberry. We're not going to sit here and act like, you know, we're Tark Elvisher or we're Joe B or Locker or Ben Raby or, you know, any of the great Caps, uh, you know, beat writers and, uh, and, and broadcasters in town. But it does seem like this is who they wanted all along. And it also seems like this is a guy that was sought after. He is young for a head coach. He's 41. He got a four-year deal. He was in Toronto as an assistant where his primary job was the power play um, and running Toronto's power play, which finished second in the league. Um, And uh, he was a part of this organization with the Hershey Bears in 2018, 2019, 2020. Um, So they were familiar with him. Um, They took their time. He took his time because he wanted to interview with other places and uh they hired the guy they want i mean tarik said that ben raby said that others said this is the guy that they wanted all along and this was a guy that had choices so i don't know if he's going to be a great coach or not i asked ben raby wasn't todd reardon young without head coaching experience um, and familiar with the organization. And he said there's a little bit of a difference. Carberry's got a little bit more kind of experience in, in um, head coaching with, you know, doing it uh, at Hershey. And um, he was a big deal this year for Toronto's power play. But I don't have much more than that unless if you do, you can, you know, you can share that with us right now. No, it's reminiscent to me of Todd Reardon. Uh, although Reardon spent more time here as an assistant coach, uh, you know, than maybe maybe basically a head coach in the minor leagues. Uh, I'm looking at he was, uh, yeah, he's right. Ben Ben Ramey's right is that Todd Reardon did not have the minor league head coaching experience right. that this guy has. Right. Uh, that's a very that is a distinct difference because I always said there's a big difference between being the assistant and the guy in charge. The assistant is everybody's friend on the team. The guy in charge is is the guy that all the players grouse about. The assistant is the guy who all the players grouse to. So this guy seems to be a, you know a good hire. They they hired a guy with Stanley Cup experience before this guy, a veteran coach, and that didn't work out for them. So now they're back to the minor league coaching experience with uh, some NHL experience as an assistant in Toronto. On paper, it looks like a strong hire. Yeah. Um, You know, there was some indication that maybe, you know, they'll try to get younger because they got a lot of veterans on this team. But I can tell you one veteran who's not going until he sets the all-time goals mark, and that's Alex Ovechkin. (laughs) Because that they will, they will, and you know what? I would not want to see him do it with anybody else, obviously. But uh, there will be. Imagine that countdown, which probably won't happen in 2024. 
um, but it'll happen, right. um, or 2023-2024, but it'll happen the following uh, year. Uh, real quickly, I wanted to just say congratulations to the Maryland men's baseball team. They won the Big Ten tournament, beating Iowa over the weekend 4 to nothing. It's their first ever, whether it was in the Big Ten or the ACC, conference championship uh, in baseball. Uh, so Matt and all the guys out there, congrats um, on that. And Maryland, I think, ends up in the uh, as the two seed in the Winston-Salem Regional with the number one seed, I think, in the tournament, which is Wake Forest. I think that's, that's right. Um, an old ACC foe, of course. Uh, but congrats to them. Um, that's awesome. Maryland has really, since joining the Big Ten, Tommy, They've been really successful in all of the sports, not named basketball and football. Um, <laughs> you know, not that they haven't had some really good teams in basketball, don't get me wrong, because they have, um, but they've won championships in a lot of the other sports. Uh, and, um, you know, I think overall, I think the Big Ten would tell you Maryland's been a fabulous addition even though probably many Big Ten fans didn't want us and we didn't necessarily want them um, at right. the beginning. Uh, Nats, you know, yeah, go ahead. I heard a rumor, uh, and this is something I would say on the podcast, I wouldn't write it because I don't know how credible it is, that, uh, and this is no secret, Mike Loxley's recruiting, you know, is very strong and absolutely through the roof, but that, Jalen Hurts has gone on some some recruiting trips with him. Well, they they're super super close. You yeah. know, I mean that's pretty that that's a pretty good chip to have in your pocket. I I had not heard visiting. that. I had not heard that. But yeah. that yeah, that's that's. You know, he's just incredibly well regarded. Mike Loxley is by every person that's ever come in contact with him. And of course he struggled as a head coach at New Mexico. Um, and for Maryland football fans out there, there are Saturdays when I'm watching, I'm like, God almighty, how many more penalties can we commit? But I'll tell you what, this guy can really communicate. He can really sell um, the program he's with. And everybody that he's coached, everybody that he's recruited, they all love him. I like him a lot. He's really, um, he's a good, normal guy. Uh, but, yeah, can't hurt having Jalen Hurts out there right now with the way yeah. Jalen Hurts is being viewed um, out there helping you recruit. Uh, it's going to be much better for Mike in the Big Ten and really for everybody not named Ohio State or Michigan in the Big Ten or Penn State. When you, I mean, it's it's crazy to say this, but when USC and UCLA join the league, um, they're going to do away with the divisions, and so Maryland won't be stuck in the Big Ten East with Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, which really, I mean, you hate to say never, but for the most part, they'd never be able to win a regular season Big Ten title. Not in that division. These are, you know, the heavyweights of not only the league but in in the country. And you know, you're pretty damn. It's like a hundred percent that one of those three teams each year is going to be one of the top two or three teams in the country for a big portion of the year. And so you're going to have to beat them, and then everybody else 
to get into the Big Ten title game. And once you do away with these divisions, um, you know, the schedule won't be nearly as brutal. Uh, Maryland should – he should have his best team this coming season. Uh, last year was his best team. They went 8-5 and five, um, and won a second straight bowl game. And this year should be his best team yet. Uh, and by the way, they have an old ACC foe on the schedule. They play Virginia um, this year uh, in College Park. Uh, I think that's the second week of the season or third week of the season. And they may be talking about moving that game to a Friday night. I forget. But um, I like Loxley a lot. Um, and I, you know, Maryland football's better off right now than they were uh, before he got here. Um, there's, yes, there's, 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 right now, this has been as competitive a couple of years as they've had since Friedgen was here. And of course, yeah. he was on Friedgen's staff. And by the way, he got yeah. them to go back to their old uniforms with the script Terps starting this year. Um, all right, so the Nats. Listen, I, yeah, go ahead. Oh, you want to talk about the Nats? Well, okay. I, I was just going to say that the the you know the the weekend series with Kansas City was uh, Mackenzie Gore was unbelievable in that last game, and Luis Garcia had that big night Friday night. But they, you know, they're they're playing one of the big boys now, and uh, you know they got they got batted around pretty good last night in L.A. against the Dodgers. Yeah, yeah, but Mackenzie Gore does look like the real deal. Yeah, you know, looks like looks like a definite stud. You're right about that. And Patrick Corbin continues to pitch well for them. Yeah, he does. Um, you know, that's that's almost found money, even though you were already spending that money. <laughs> right. A lot of it, but uh, yeah, that's good. But you're right, and and then the Phillies come to town this weekend for a series. That'll be that'll be interesting. Trey Turner and and company. Yeah, Bryce, they've struggled. They have. I, now I haven't checked them out recently, but after Harper came back off of the, of Tommy John, he was on fire there for a while. Um, yeah. I I don't know what he's been doing recently, um, but it really was. Uh, let's just see what he's done here in recent games. He's hitting three oh six. He's got three homers, eight RBIs, um, but he's cooled off a little bit. But he had a couple of incredible games there against the uh, the Cubs a few weeks ago. Um, yeah, so the Phillies in town. You know what? Why don't we go? Why don't we take in a game together this year? Okay. But I don't want to sit up in the press box. I'm talking okay. about let uh, we'll get good seats. We can work that okay. out, don't you think? Yes. <laughs> um, I think we can. Okay. Uh, speaking of good seats, anybody got seats for Foo Fighters tonight at the opening of the 930 Club? Oh, my God. Have you seen what these seats are going for? Uh, no. I have um, – I'm not going. I would have loved to have gone, uh, but I didn't have a hookup. If anybody hears this podcast before the show starts tonight, wants to reach out to me, uh, on, wow. on Twitter, I'll meet you down there. Would love to be down there for that. Uh, all right, we're done for the day. Anything else? Listen, uh, no, we're what? not done for the day. Oh, I thought we were. I wanted to tell you about my, my weekend. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you can't wait. You know? Oh, you were at the beach. You were at the beach again. No, you went to a no, wedding. You, you went think... to a wedding. You went to a wedding. <laughs> I went to a wedding. Right. I went to a wedding uh, at the Strong Mansion 
up on, on Sugarloaf Mountain, Ooh. Uh, this real nice mansion. It was the wedding of my niece, Annie, who was marrying a young man from Montgomery County named Connor. Mm-hmm. And it was a beautiful wedding. But I just want to say, this was my first time back on the dance floor since I t- partially tore my Achilles tendon back in March in mm-hmm. Florida. Mm-hmm. And let me just say this. The Lavero legend on the dance floor was only solidified this weekend. It was, yeah. Only solidified. There were two Spanish relatives, two young women who were relatives of the family who came from Spain. Uh, and one of them walked up to told my wife after we were dancing, you know, Tom, Tom dances like an African-American. Well, I'm just telling you, this is not the first time I've heard this. Uh-huh. Of course okay? not. You've got you got rhythm. There's no doubt about it. I, I'm sure. I, I think I've seen it before. So I've been basking in the glow of that because uh, I was, you know, I had to toward Achilles tendon. I was thinking, well, maybe I can't cut it anymore. Maybe I can't do it. For those that were there, yeah, would have hated not to. Be I can still move dance. it and groove it. I mean. I, when you go to these things, are your family members like, what about your wife and um, what about your son when he's there with you? Like, is everybody just can't wait to see Pops out on the dance floor? Has that always been the oh, case no, with you? Like, they, no, they're sick of hearing about me. No, no, they're sick of it. Like, like oh, uh, when, no. when my son, when, 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 when this girl walked up to my son and told him uh, what a good dancer I was, oh. my son said, Jesus, don't say that to him, please. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I would probably be Don't right there with your that. son. Yeah, please do not say that to him. Um, all right, anything else? By the way, Sugarloaf Mountain's pretty out there in, in Montgomery. Well, Sugarloaf's technically in Frederick County, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, we used to go I out there so. for, like, field trips when we were kids. I remember there was always, every year, there was a field trip to Sugarloaf Mountain. Okay. This is a great ending to the show. Uh, All right, back tomorrow. I'm not sure with whom, but it'll be with somebody. Have a good day. So long, boss.